Thanks, Jordan. Um, it's a real privilege to be here this morning. Um, I've, uh, due to the length of the passage this morning, I've taken the liberty of um, picking two of the sections to talk about this morning, and some of it does tie into other parts as well, and you kind of see that as we go through. Um, so I'm going to be starting off with the beginning of Mark 12 which is the, the parable of the vineyard and I'll be uh, finishing up at the end of Mark 12 with the, um, the story about the, the widow's offering. Um, so just to uh, recap on the, the parable of the vineyard, so um, Lisa just read that to us. So there's this um, story about the, the vineyard owner who's, who's made this lovely vineyard and um, um, kind of, you know, put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower and put all this effort into it and then he uh, rents it out to some tenants. Um, goes off when later comes to receive what is rightfully his. The, uh, the tenants there uh, um, treat, treat those uh, uh, servants despicably. They beat them or kill them. Um, and it goes on to um, talk about the, the owner deciding to send his actual son. Surely they're going to respect his son. Um, and, and go on through there and um, as it continues. So I've got three kind of main things that jumped out to me from this passage I'd like to go through. Um, the, the first is at the beginning that it's this idea that God creates the vineyard. Um, there's a really interesting reference here to Isaiah chapter 5 um, and if we read some of the language I'm just about to read, I'll read through some of Isaiah 5 from one verse 1 to 7 and you'll see there's this kind of carryover so some of the same imagery so in uh, the parable of the vineyard talks about planting a vineyard, putting a wall around it, digging a pit for the wine press and building a watchtower and now as we read from Isaiah 5 it says I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall and it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I'll command the cloud not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress." Um, I think this is one of the key reasons that the Pharisees would have been quite incensed when they heard Jesus talking about this parable. They would have um, known the Old Testament scriptures and um, would have understood the references he was making. And this, this is a, a chapter that talks about God's judgment of his people. Um, and the, the key kind of takeaway here from this thought of God creating the vineyard is that um, everything we see around us is his. Um, he is a creator of heaven and earth and everything belongs to him. Um, I'm reminded of uh, Psalm 24, which uh, many of you will know, which uh, starts off with the phrase, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Um, and then there's also another passage in James 1 verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. 
there's this concept in scripture that God owns everything, um, that he, he creates us. Um, this then leads to the question, what does that mean? So um, what, what does God expect of this world that he has created and entrusted to us and everything in it that belongs to him? Um, God expects to find fruit. Um, and we see that um, both in this passage in Isaiah 5 as well as um, Mark chapter 12, this um, concept of vineyards there, it's supposed to, to bear fruit. Um, Mark 12, it doesn't say there's no fruit, but it says obviously that the, uh, the tenants there were not willing to give anything to, to God. Um, they were basically wanting to use it for their own ends. It's like, well, not recognising whose it was and were happy to just... Um, use it for themselves and um, when, when God sent messages he was, they were just like, no, go away, this is, this is ours. Yeah. Um, and the, the question I have from this and I um, must say that as I've been going through this preparation I've been quite challenged myself in, in, uh, in the preparation time because there's some pretty powerful stuff and it's, um, this passage was aimed at the Pharisees but there's a lot we can learn from it today as well. Um, so we know that everything we have is God's and we owe it to him uh, you have unique skills and abilities that God has given you for a purpose how do you treat these gifts what are we doing in them are we holding on to ourselves um, is it for selfish ends um, God sends his, his messengers as a warning um, this, this today is a warning um, as, we, as we're reading through this is saying that God has given you things um, and it might not be much as we'll talk later there's the the, uh, the widow in, in her giving she didn't have much um, but God does give us things how are we using this are we beating God's messenger ignoring it trying to do anything we can to, to hold on to everything that God's given us for ourselves um, when it comes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something do we get challenged um, and do we actually listen to the Holy Spirit or are we like no I'm not, not willing for God to be um, in that part of my life um, as we read elsewhere in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus is talking about the loving Lord your God with all your heart mind and soul is that what we're doing are we giving him everything or are we just just holding on and just doing doing the bare minimum The good news is, is that God is exceedingly gracious and patient. Um, and you see in here that he doesn't stop at just sending the messengers. He then sends his son. Um, and it's clearly a, a picture of God sending his son, Jesus. Um, and uh, as it said in there, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Um, it's interesting timing here. This is only days before Jesus' death. He's done his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, he's, he's there and very soon after this he, he will be killed. So he's, he's actually, interestingly, giving a final warning to the Pharisees who are instrumental in, in, in betraying him. Um, even right up until the end, um, they had been set in this place but there was this this warning in this parable again um god being patient and saying i know this is what you're planning and what you're wanting to do um 
and that warning is there so that they, if they were to go ahead, they would knew, exa knew exactly what they were doing. Um, for today, God is patient, um, long-suffering, and we see that throughout all the scripture. Um, but are we pushing him away, running after our own things, continuing to do, do what I want to do rather than what God wants me to do? Um, heed his warning. Um, it's preserved there in scripture, so we today, thousands of years later, can understand that warning and take it on board. There's um, interesting kind of connections between this one and the, the story of the, the widow's offering, which is why I um, chose to um, put those two together, because there's some these themes of giving God everything is in that, that verse one there about holding things for ourselves, and it's also in that story of the, the widow's might as well. Um, as, as we read, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. What, what I take from this is God is interested in what it costs us personally. Um, very easy in this world to get obsessed with, you know, objective things, um, like how much is it, um, and we compare ourselves to each other and look, like, what do I do compared to that person? And, and this, this story is showing very clearly that God's interested in what it cost me. What did it cost me personally? Um, the widow... In worldly terms, put in nothing, um, but Jesus saw it as everything. Um, and there's a there's a warning there to people who have been given a lot as well, um, that that you can feel good because oh, yeah, in objective terms, I've put in a lot. You know, I give a lot of my time, I uh, give a lot of my money, um, all of these different things. I can feel like, oh yes, in, when I compare to other people, I'm doing quite well. Uh, but is it actually the case? Um, these people putting their money into the treasury were condemned for it because even though it seemed like lots and a lot of people would look on it and think, oh yes, they're doing a lot, it wasn't actually the case. Uh, Luke 12 verse 48 has a warning on this very uh, point. It says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Uh, let that, that sink in. It's a, it's a pretty... Uh, weighty thing to, to think about and I think for many of us living in a wealthy country we have been entrusted with much and we have to ask ourselves are we doing what we need to or are we just doing the bare minimum to, to look spiritual and to get away with uh, what, what we can. Then we see that there's this concept of giving for God to see not others uh, and it's tied into this. Um, so the, the criticism of the, um, the rich people was that they were giving for other people to see. Um, and I think we can very easily have a very narrow view of this. You know, many of us have probably grown up in, in a church environment where we've been taught from a young age to not give your money so everyone else can see you, give discreetly. Um, 
But the, the principle, I think, can be applied broader than that. Um, and we can probably too easily give ourselves a pat on the back for having kind of done this. Ah, oh, yes, I don't go and give my money for everyone else to see. Um, but it's not necessarily the whole thing. Um, just immediately before this kind of section on the widow's offering, it says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and at the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Um, tied into this, I want to read from Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 1 to 4, which says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, and I think the danger is to think of uh, this as a, oh no, someone saw them giving, um, therefore it's, uh, it's, it's a problem. Um, but there's this underlying principle of the heart here, like why am I doing this? Um, and it can be very good things that we do, but if it's not done from a good place in the heart, it's actually worthless. Um, take an example, talking in spiritual language. Um, for many of us who have grown up in church, we can learn how to talk to talk. You know, um, we can talk about, you know, if God wills this, if God wills that, or God showed me this, God told me to do that. And they're not actually bad things. Um, they're good things, but if it's from a place in the heart of just doing it to perform and show the people around, yes, I'm a spiritual person, um, it's, it's completely and utterly worthless. Um, an example I was thinking of on this point is this, um, this idea that we might see sometimes is when you, when you speak to someone who you know is making a good show of being friendly because they feel they need to be, and sometimes you can see through this and you're like, person's not been genuinely friendly. You can tell that they probably feel some kind of obligation that they're supposed to be friendly towards me, so they're being friendly. Um, we, when we see that, we actually get quite disgusted by it and turned off by it. It's, it's, it's this idea that it's like, that's not real. I'd like, I don't really want to talk if you feel like you're being friendly just because you have to. Think that the God, he sees through us every time. What's it like for God when he sees us? They've got no hope of putting on a face for him and um, showing off to God and being like, yes, I'm doing this and God's going to see it and um, see it as something good when it's not. There's no masking ourselves from him. So as we go through these things, we need to ask ourselves, are we genuine? Am I doing this because I believe this is the right thing to do? I'm doing it to honour God. Am I giving to honour God? Am I giving to to show that I'm a spiritual person and to maintain my place in the church. And then finally in this, this story of the widow's offering, there was this part that jumped out to me. Um, just, just three words. Um, if I jump back to it. 
I have lost uh, lost my spot now. Let's pull it up here. So, on, in the verse 44, it says, They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. And this idea of put in everything, um, and, it, and it ties into what I was talking about at the beginning, that everything is God's. And there's this, this danger that we can fall into as Christians um, where we start to think of things as ours. Um, it's a mindset change from what we see in the world and we as Christians know that we have to do this and it's, it's a work in progress um, for the, um, to, to go through and do it. Um, and this idea of I'm not giving God his you know, little, little portion on the side and then everything else is mine, I can go on and do however I please with it. There's this idea that, as I said earlier, um, from Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Um, there's another passage where David talks about um, this theme as well in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 to 14. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Um, I'll go through a couple more verses here because this is a theme that comes out throughout Scripture. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. In Romans 6, verse 15 to 23. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that through, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slave to, slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The key mistake we can make is assuming that we can cut out a percentage of our income, our time, our lives, give that to God and call it a day. But in the Bible, it's quite the contrary. God requires more than this. He requires all of us. As we saw in the parable of the vineyard, one day the owner will come back and he will ask, what have we done with what he has given us? Am I holding back, only giving him a small portion? Am I pretending to be a spiritual person, doing things for selfish motivations to look good? But 
I'm actually not giving my all for God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you'll work in each person here today, that you'll convict and show us where we need to change in our lives, where we've been doing things that are not giving our all for you, doing things for selfish motivations, to look good before others, holding on to what is yours as our own. We're sorry. I ask that you'll speak into our lives for each person here, if there's anything that we need to think about in our own lives. I ask that you'll show us, your Holy Spirit will work to guide and convict. And I ask that we'll have the courage to, to listen and not project that message. That we'll be able to listen and take it on board, even when it comes at personal cost.